Welcome back to another episode of the Most of Musa podcast. Today my guest is Olena Rogozina. Welcome. Thank you. How are you? I'm okay. I'm good. Happy yeah. to be here. Yeah, nice to have you here. So, you came to Sweden around 8 years ago and you were telling me like while you were in Ukraine, you moved a lot from different places and um since the early 2000s there have been like uh, you said there was a orange revolution and some other like um also like uh, the Russia Ukraine conflict is not very recent it's been going on for like a long time so uh, like the first question that came to my mind is that are most majority of Ukrainians very politically aware uh are they very active in the political scene yeah it's impossible to not be aware you know i i think it's um almost strange that people now say that politics should be away from this and that um especially in the west people talk about like politicizing of culture and uh, and football and eurovision and everything uh, imaginable but it's not uh, a, a separate part of of life you know if we understood that politics is uh, you know a structure of of how we organize our society then maybe more people would vote <laughs> and um and yeah people are uh, very much aware or it's it's impossible to not be in the news every day um when it's the war in your country and uh even for me here you know I'm 2500 kilometers away from from home um but i start my day every every time with checking well first viber family chat how is dad and my brother in law um, they are still there because they're in kiev now mm. yeah um and then second of all quick uh, review of uh, the news um but it's easier now uh to stay away you kind of learn to be more disciplined and not be in the news all the time mm-hmm. um you know when the full scale war um broke out on 24th of february um every time that i you know wasn't uh, on the rally or with the volunteers um i was in the news um and um at some uh a certain period of time at the beginning i even had like twitter notifications for for um like zelensky and klishko and major ukrainian news because i didn't want to miss out on on any bad stuff you know it's um very difficult to um to to describe it this very deep fear of something bad happening happening to your entire family and then you have yeah almost no power to to help them or 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 stop it um at some point and and i had a plan on day one like in the morning there you know bless my friends they they helped to to organize um some things and on day 1 in the morning we knew that there is a place in Warsaw where my family could stay and that place would be able to 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 um accommodate everyone including my aunt who is um um in quite old age and and uh has problems with health so uh, i had a plan i didn't know how difficult it would be to 
to um, persuade, if that's the right word, or negotiate with them to get them here, because my initial uh, emotion and 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 the action that I the action that I wanted from them was to come here. You know, Punxlut. <laughs> you come here, and uh, there's a place for you there. There's a place in, in Warsaw. There's a place for you here when you come. So no questions um, asked. But then I can't take that responsibility, and I can't imagine how it is for them. So. Uh, Do they want to stay there by choice? Yeah. So. Um, First of all, they yeah they want it, it's quite complex. First of all, they wanted to stay there. They don't want to leave their home. Why sh- why should they? Stay? You know, it's one thing to visit me here on vacation, and my mom really loves Sweden, so she was like, yeah, maybe one day I'll spend. A s-. Actually, this summer was supposed to be her summer in Sweden. Mm-hmm. Um, well, who knew that that it 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 would be so, but for completely. Uh, horrifying reasons um they they uh, wanted to stay and from from those first conversations on 24th of february it was very obvious to me that maybe mom and uh, my sister would be able to come here no way that dad would be coming here and um, first of all, he is uh, he's sixty, and the age for for man to be leaving the country is uh, sixty one. Um, but I think for he like even now his birthday is in July. He's not gonna come here because, uh, well, his sister is there, and she will not be able to to do this uh, intense way. And then he has this feeling that he shouldn't be running away. Um, and I knew it because it's in his character. He's not going to be running away. He even, you know, he's um, unofficially a poet. He's been writing poems since he was like in his 20s. Uh, it's quite um, quite um, amazing to me now to be reading his poems and understanding some of them for the first time. Because he was uh, writing a lot of intense things in 14, 15, more 15, and um, and after that, one of his poems is kind of a internal, di- or not internal, kind of a dialogue with a, with a guy p- putting his uh, gar- uh, gun in, 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 my, in your or my father's chest. Mm-hmm. And Dad's reply in the poem was, "Come on, don't be a coward, do it." So I knew that Dad, Dad would not do it if it was for his sake, for someone else's sake. He will do anything. Um, and he's been he's been doing quite uh, amazing things now, and I'm I'm really proud and impressed by him. And my mom and sister came here after all. Um, so. Um, did the before the twenty fourth February, was there any inclination that uh, a war could happen, or was there anything in the news or any, any like a particular media, anything, any kind of news that uh, a war is coming or attack is coming? Well, the war has been happening since spring twenty fourteen, 
where the annexation was spring and then uh, in summer the war started in uh, Donbass and um, that's where I'm fr- I'm from actually that's where I was born uh, Horlivka is a um, industrial coal miner town where I was born and a lot of uh, a lot of very warm and heartfelt childhood memories come from um, but then I know that uh, that was my childhood perception of it and then at the in, in, in fact when I think about it now in fact I know that there were a lot of problems going on there um, that's where we lived till I was eight and then we moved to Donetsk uh, and uh, left shortly after one and a half years but my uh, father's family stayed there and uh, they had to flee in 2014 and moved um, moved to Kiev. Mm. And then since we are originally from that area, we have a part of family who's still there and um, my parents' friends uh, are in the area. But, you know, now it's so-called DNR, <laughs> Donetsk People's Republic, and, uh, and it's been, uh, they've been brought back back in time in terms of I mean there's no develop no progress pretty uh, heartbreaking what happened to that place and for us impossible to visit obviously um, impossible to visit because we don't <laughs> we don't want to yeah but then when it comes to the full-scale war I mean of course you read the news yeah it was all over all over media um but I spoke to my family, and I, you know, I, I was uh, worried. But I talked to them; uh, they were pretty um, cool about it. You know, that's uh, that's a thing. You, um, I think we either it was some kind of a psychological mechanism where we didn't want to believe that it would happen, or we were still thinking, well, they can't be that dumb. They can't be that you know, violent. Uh, it's <laughs> twenty twenty two for Christ's sake. They can't, you know, take their Soviet tanks and uh, queue them outside Kiev, you know. That must be just blah, blah, blah in their imperialistic uh, hangover. But um, no, not, a, not just blah, blah, blah. And that, that was a shock. And a big wake-up call, uh, not just for us, but for the entire world. That maybe it's a it's it's a human bias in general. You still you you think that everyone else perceives the world the way you do, right? There is that kind of bias. So when you hear someone threatening openly, here you might think that that's just a empty threat, yeah. But it's not. You have to take the bully very seriously. And I think Ukrainian government have been doing it for a long time. But the West, the Western countries didn't act, didn't do anything. And if they did, maybe the war wouldn't start. Mm-hmm. The full-scale war. Um, I think so. It's so insanely inhumane. And... Yeah, I know there are a lot of horrible things happening 
in many places in the world. And it's heartbreak and it's been frustrating me for a very long time. But when it's, you know, uh, you're on Viber with mom and you hear uh, a bomb, uh, it, it makes you scared in a whole other way. It also makes you realize that we have to be doing things differently on governmental, multilateral, um, business level, all kinds of possible levels. We have to be doing things differently. Yeah, when Putin's main, main justification was that uh, is it the eastern region where there's a big population of Russians as well, right? Or is it the south region? Uh, the yeah, eastern. so in Donbass, in Donbass, Donbass. it's Russian speaking Ukrainians. Yeah, yeah, his justification was that oh, they're uh, they're being persecuted or they should have their own state or whatever. But I want to ask that the, the Russian people living in Ukraine. What is their own feelings? Are they against the war or do they are they with the Russians? Of course they're against the war. Mm. I mean they're Ukrainians. Mm. That that the, this whole concept of um, unifying people because they're Russian, it's um it, it's <laughs> forgive my language, but it's a bunch of bullshit. Uh, you speak Russian I'm bilingual. Uh, I speak Ukrainian and Russian since childhood. Yes, I speak Russian. Uh, but it doesn't mean I want to live in Russia. And and uh, there are actually two words for Russian in 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 in, in their language. There is a Russianian, uh, as in someone who lives in Russia, and then there is a Ruski человек. And that you know, it became a debate, yeah, uh, over the. Uh, you know, Kiev and Rus origins, and for people not knowing history or just watching Russian propaganda news, uh, they think it's it's their historical territory, and and they have any right for it. Um, that's not true. <laughs> if you dig into history and try to understand it, that's not true because all the statehood um, started in Kiev and. And the same goes for for language and culture, um, but you know now they uh, in the in the ch school books that uh, that they are releasing now, they renamed Kiev and Rus to just Rus. <laughs> they just we we just gonna delete the Kiev from it. It's it's that easy. It's kind of um, like uh, they read the Orwell's nineteen eighty four and and took it as a as a guidebook you know um that's quite scary um even though i don't care that much what happens in in their state i want uh peace in ukraine and for us to rebuild everything in a solid way in a good way um but still some part of me just thinks that part of the tragedy is that people can be um, brainwashed like that uh, to the degree of not wanting 
to get other perspectives, not trying to understand, not trying to listen, just repeating the same thing that the TV says. That's scary. And that's millions and millions of people um, who really are now saying that, oh, well, the, the whole world is against Putin, so we have to support him. He's the underdog here. <laughs> you know, it's... um. Of course, it's something about humanity in general. Yeah, it's very easy to manipulate people if you just remove a few factors out of there, like free media or um, an opportunity to say what you think and walk out on a square. Um, Do you know who Lex Friedman is? Hmm? Lex Friedman. Mm -hmm. he's uh, uh, one of the biggest podcasters in the world he lives okay. in America and he's half Russian half Ukrainian okay. he has family on both sides okay. so I was listening to one of his like recent podcasts and he, me he mentioned something very interesting that uh, or maybe it was another anyways uh, the thing was that people are so shocked by uh, like how this could spark World War 3 and oh, since the the Cold War, we had this notion of mutually assured destruction that as long as everybody has nukes, nobody's gonna destroy each other because if once one country starts, everybody's gonna you know uh, the world is gonna end basically. But now that's that's like the seventies, whatever eighties technology. But now with the technological advancements in nuclear power and weapons that you cannot even see a new coming. So there is no chance to uh, attack in, in a counter-strike. So after World War One ended, it was, the, it was called the war to end all wars. Mm -hmm. And then nobody was expecting World War II to happen so quickly. Everybody was like, we just went through this war. Uh, Europe is in shambles. And, you know, nothing, nobody could expect that. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing happening now that we say, oh, we're living in 2022, like we're so advanced and everything. The world is so progressive. But like realize that wars have been happening in the world all throughout this time. Just because we are not connected to them, that doesn't mean conflict isn't happening. Yeah. And World War Two happened around, what, 75, 80 years ago. That's not mm -hmm. a long time. And it's kind of like an ignorant thing to say that, oh, everyone is just like uh, peaceful and kind and generous. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants the best of humanity or the world. That's not mm -hmm. the case. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of evil actors in the world and things could go back, go bad very quickly. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, there are so many problems and we should be fixing them. Um but it seems like we're focusing again on this the same the same yeah on warfare and um it, i don't want to get mm. depressed in this <laughs> in this talk now uh but of course there i think um there's a very big role of media in it um and um i understand the um I understand how it works, you know, you gotta have clicks and maybe some uh, famous people, uh, divorce is, uh, is a big deal, who won, uh, but, um, 
but there is not enough information about what's really happening in the world and there's not enough perspectives and you know what's on the news one day uh, is out of the picture the next day even though it's still going on but it's not news anymore and uh, and that's um, that's that's also dangerous because um, I think um, civil society I mean everything governments and and uh, and um, businesses is it's people right people can do a lot if they want to if they understand and they want to change it um, now for instance one of my uh, kind of light at the end of the tunnel favorite news is uh, that a journalist in Lithuania um, created a, a crowdfunding campaign for Bayraktar for Ukraine. A uh, what? Sorry? Yeah, for Bayraktar, the okay. uh, the uh, uh, yeah, mi mi missile. Oh yeah, weapon. I heard that. Yeah, yeah and yeah. Uh, and <laughs> so he went to the Lithuanian um, Ministry of Defense and asked, uh, well. If we gather enough money, can you buy a Bayraktar from Turkey and send it to Ukraine? The Minister of Defense agreed, and they gathered five millions in three days. And considering population of Lithuania, that's insane um, and, and really, really impressive. Then Turkey uh, um, gave it uh, for free, mm -hmm. so, so they spent money on other things for, for Ukraine. But... but uh, I think that's just a brilliant example of um, human will <laughs> in action. Um, you can do a lot um, with people getting together towards um, something um, um, something strong. Um, and for that, there needs to be enough information out there. and. I think uh, there are not enough organizations who are talking about it. Um, out of good examples, like Medicine Sans Frontieres, for example, you know, when they are somewhere, they do talk about the things that they are seeing. Um, two different organizations, the government, and mostly like with press releases and news. Uh, but there should be more of that, I think. Less populism, more um, talking about how it is and uh, doing something for it. And that goes for wars. That goes for what companies are doing that might be uh, not very uh, in line with... Uh, ethics that, that people are expecting that goes for what some people who have certain responsibilities are doing yeah I believe we underestimate the power of an individual mm -hmm. like throughout history if you see like all the major changes that happen in the world mm -hmm. like always only one person comes to mind for a like a particular event mm -hmm. like let's say oh, the let's say for the uh, uh, when India and Pakistan were getting uh, decolonized and then getting their independence, there was only for India millions of people there was only Gandhi for Pakistan for millions of people there was only Jinnah, 
And same thing with the Nelson Mandela or Malcolm X. They're always, these are like such big issues involving major actors and populations there, but there's, they are um, affected by one or two individuals only. So like people don't know how much power they have and how one individual can make such a big change in the world. Mm-hmm. This like mostly this, uh, uh, this is a psychological phenomenon called distribution of responsibility, mm-hmm. where if you're in a crowd and if you see someone hurt, nobody will do anything because everyone is thinking, oh, somebody else will help them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's on a world stage, we think like that as well. Hey, if it's a major issue, people are thinking about it. I don't have to do this. Mm-hmm. But on like when we were talking about before, how, how can someone be politically unaware in these times when there's social media, there's everything. But at the same time, there's also negative sides to being politically aware that I don't think that human beings are supposed to be this politically aware how we are right now. Like we have all the information of the world right now access to and back in the day a human being was only concerned about their own village their family or the city and now we get like i think everyone feels guilty now if okay i'm talking about ukraine other people are saying hey why aren't you talking about palestine if i'm talking about palestine why aren't you talking about afghanistan so there are so many issues i don't believe a human being is capable and we're not supposed to expect expect someone to worry about every single thing, because of course you're from Ukraine, you're gonna um, uh, you're more closely related to that issue, so you're gonna be more concerned about that. And uh, like in my own like Pakistani community, people I saw like social media saying, "Hey, all of Europe is going crazy about Ukraine. Why don't they talk about things that are happening in Afghanistan or the Middle East?" I mean. I don't think that's a fair point because, of course, Ukraine is in Europe and people have families connected and people move. So that that region is more concerned about what's happening in it, you know. So we shouldn't expect countries or even individuals to be active in every single political. That's not possible for a human being. Oh, you know, it's a very difficult uh, topic, I think, because, uh, you know, we first of all, we should care. Yeah, that's the, the the starting point. We should just care in general about people and act in accordance to that. Um, what you're saying is that it's humanly impossible to to um, to get all this information in your head. Uh, that is true, and I think we should be disciplined about information with social media. Uh, you can really get into that um, to to uh, to a degree that isn't healthy, um, but we are in a state where we can't be ignorant. Mm-hmm. You know, we do have the internet now, so we do have opportunity to to see what's happening, to um, to understand, and to do what we can. You know. Uh, no one expects um, uh, IT guy in Stockholm to be doing the same amount as a president of any country can do. We all have different roles and different 
responsibilities and we should be doing what's uh, what's right in in our context uh, in the context of your village in the context of your office of your uh, group of, of friends um, and as long as what you are doing uh, is significant uh, I think you're good and this feeling what you're saying of um, I'm not foreign to that feeling actually uh, this feeling of guilt um, that's um, yeah it can really eat you up mm. and that's not healthy either and when you get towards that way you know that's um, that's a slippery slope and you might not be able to do anything at the end so um do what you can in your sphere and and uh, in accordance to your path now i see that so many people are are doing uh, things to to help the people and to help to stop the war and everyone is doing uh, what they can and you know whether you donate uh, one euro or you know ten thousand it's um uh it it might it might be too much or it might be too little for you <laughs> but for your context and uh not none of it should be uh creating guilt um i think but then we should be smart enough to be pressuring um governments and spheres of responsibility to be ending this conflict not like that's my <laughs> to sum up <laughs> my answer wars and conflicts shouldn't be happening anywhere and it's my hope that this movement for, uh, i i'm in a, a bit in a bubble of of this volunteer movement uh because i'm from there so it's very difficult for me to compare to to anything or to to say for for any kind of bigger picture uh but from where i see it it's crazy uh powerful movement uh from the civil society we joke um there are me so many memes about it that um the president is uh, uh talking to to some official about uh a certain weapon that is needed for the armed forces and the answer is no we can't we can't uh, we, we can't send it yet <laughs> uh, or right now and then the volunteers are like huh we we're already transporting it <laughs> you know um as in nothing is impossible and my hope is that this um spirit of action coming from this empathy and wanting to help is transformed to uh to other things other places if if, if i may say so uh other problems initiatives um that's very powerful uh, a lot of uh, volunteers now started organizations and now they are kind of on the political sphere um and as in many examples how quickly it goes if there is will for that no i was really inspired by like i have some friends who instead of just like uh, making a post on instagram or just you know making a tiktok about it 
they actually travel to Poland in the border regions or even in Ukraine by themselves and helping people and being volunteers. Mm-hmm. Well, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, in, like, like the same thing I was saying before, like individuals, like if you're just take care of your own world, like as much as you can do, I mean, uh, like if everyone does their own part, I think collectively that makes a big difference. Oh, 100%, yes. Um, and then you never know where it will take you. When you are um, acting on something that you've never done before, um, but you know this is the right thing to do, like you're saying, the right kind of people... Uh, will be next to you and you never know what will come out of it Um, in um, action help to easen or save someone's life or to something in the cultural sphere Um, writing something that will later change someone's life you know on this topic of um, everyone have their own front line there is this well first of all first of all there is this period of uh, gratitude which i think is very strong and i'm not talking about uh, gratitude in general you know the the spiritual uh, feeling as in gratitude to everything how 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 it is and and um, that you are here very real factual gratitude to soldiers who are defending your home um, as in if it's not for them then your family will uh, will not be there and your home will not be there and I see it everywhere um, and I think there is this spillover <laughs> effect from their heroism to um, I don't know if it's spillover effect to them or if it's just in people this this um, courage to do impossible things or to do things with heart to do beautiful things that are moving others the front line of um, harvesters for instance you know now there's so much talk about um well rightfully so so there should be talk about it there should be action about it on the on the global food crisis due to russians blocking um the wheat exports uh, from from ukrainian ports and when the harvesting campaign was meant to start uh, I was watching on the news uh, statements on, you know, yeah, this this territory is occupied or these ter- territories are um, mined, um, but we'll still do the we'll still do the campaign, we'll still do our best, and then looking at harvesters in, uh, <laughs> you know, life jackets or what was it called? Yeah, this this. Ar- armor yeah that's not light jacket armor. that's an armor yeah. i'm really i'm still really bad on all this terminology um in armor doing the harvesting 
uh, and in front of them are the sappers demining the fields. Mm-hmm. How is that not a front line, you know? Or um, people uh, in the restaurants uh, volunteering twenty four seven for um, for those who lost uh, their homes and uh, and refugees. And also on the cultural front, um, I'm quite close to that because my mother uh, is an artist. And um, almost all of her work uh, since she came here, when she could um, create, that was about what's happening, emotions and feelings from, from the atrocities of the war. Um, and I see a lot of that from uh, artists and illustrators in Ukraine, filmmakers, writers, musicians. There's been so, so oh, like I even, I have goosebumps and I, when I talk about it, because uh, I remember those videos, um, it's hauntingly beautiful performances of violinists and cellists on the um, remains of of, of um, culture houses and, and homes and squares in Erpin, in Kharkiv and other places. It's painful. It also brings hope that the music goes on but it's really heartbreaking how much damage has been done in this three months and over the time of our history there's been a lot of damage done a lot you know the churches that the beautiful churches you see now are not the original Oftentimes, they're not the original ones. They were built centuries ago on the ground of the old church that was destroyed sometime uh, by, yeah, oftentimes uh, Soviet or Imperial Russia. And, and now it's happening kind of all over again. You know, there is this tragic emotion in that... Um, you talk about, you know, wars happening all the time. And I was born in independent Ukraine. But two generations back, people who are now in their 90s, they went through Second World War. Um, my grandma is from Kharkiv. And uh, she, she passed away in November 2019, but uh, her sister is in Kharkiv now. Um, and uh, during Second World War, they were in their home in Kharkiv and their mother and aunt died in their arms. And then grandma was sent to Germany uh, to work in a, in a work uh, camp. And when the war ended, 
people with whom she lived, uh, kind of an elderly couple, they were nice people, and they they asked her to stay. Uh, but she chose to come back and try to find her sister. And she did in Kharkiv. And now great-aunt Zhenya is in that same building where they lived. Um, and it's shelling all the time. Um, and she can't go down to a bomb shelter because she's 95. Uh, that's, imagine that it was Nazis and you were in the same country with Russians and now it's Russians bombing you. Still can't wrap my head around the tragedy of this on on that level, you know, because our histories are so close. A lot of Ukrainians have family members in Russia. Um, but now, you know, they kind of um, exchanged family for a TV. We have those stories, too, of family members going bananas. <laughs> I, some, sometimes... Uh, at the beginning, I didn't even understand what what she was saying <laughs> because it's so so absurd. Um, my mother's second or third cousin, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, some distant relative, lives in Russia, and um, she um, they don't really have a relationship. But uh, like ten years ago, or something mom really wanted to uh, get together with all the distant relatives to try to reconnect, you know. Um, and when the full-scale war started, that uh, distant cousin in, in Russia said that uh, um, you should stand on the knees in front of people of Donbass. And then was texting a really uh, horrible, horrible, absurd things. And um, I, I blocked her directly. Uh, my mom was answering with some sort of um you know respect and uh, but then she said that yeah uh, i guess we're all banditifty because we love ukraine and since since then mom has been speaking ukrainian a lot and before as well but now much more even with my dad and uh, but that's not i, I don't think that's uh, as painful because we didn't really have a relationship with them you know um imagine mothers not believing their children. I hear those stories a lot. Um, children calling mothers, saying, Russia is shelling us. We're, we're, we're in a bomb shelter now. Um, and the mother goes, no, it's okay. Um, we'll save you. It's okay. It'll be fine. Um... Do you like what do you think? Why is that happening? Is it just like Russian media is just showing a completely different picture, mm -hmm. or Russians are actually against Ukrainians in that way? Mm. Ah, those two are connected very much because um, what's happening now, I mean, obviously, it's the product of years. Uh, like t 10, 20 years of 
of propaganda and maybe the past 10 years have been this intense anti-Ukrainian propaganda as in Ukrainian regime is is uh, fascist and and you know Azov battalion or fascists and uh, and just blatant lies and then they they wrap that with with something and voila there you go and you repeat and repeat and repeat the same message uh, maybe with different stories mm, that looks probable but if you repeat that enough people start believing it mm. and um, if there is no one you trust who contradicts it then then that's your truth and uh, and then when out of the blue someone tells you uh, that's it's not like that you know we don't need you to save us just go away mm -hmm. just don't touch us uh by then you're so um in 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 your truth that it, you can't um you know and uh, take that in like what does uh russia has to gain with capturing ukraine apart from like their uh, imperialistic goals of just expanding and getting former Soviet territory back. Do they have something, any like resources or economic benefits they have to gain? Well, resources, uh, yeah, very much resources. Mm. I think it's a lot about like land mm. because if they really, if they really stood with that whole story of um, we have to save Russian people, then they wouldn't be burning the the villages and towns to ground but it's about it's a it's a lot of this you know we need to have our land this big mother russia it's kind of uh, strange to me that they have maybe freud would have something to say about it they have this obsession with you know this big land and um even though now in the Russian Federation most of it is like forests mm -hmm. and uh, un unusable but it's also I just wanted to say isn't that weird that the kind of God com complexes that human beings have mm -hmm. like what we live 80 years you know mm -hmm. something like that and what would you gain if you get all these land like you're gonna die let's say Putin how old is he like 60 70 mm -hmm. let's say Max he lives 30 years more mm -hmm. Like, what is he going to do? No, <laughs> I really hope he doesn't. There is so much talk about now how, mm. you know, how sick he is, mm. late stage cancer. And, and, no, I um, mean, yeah, like, but But yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. And, and they have such, like, it, we have such weird it's absurd. goals. You know, it's, it's, it's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's very mm -hmm. absurd. Like, we, we go to war, we kill each other, we do such atrocities. Like, with nothing to gain like what's mm -hmm. there is no logical reasoning behind our actions mm -hmm. you know yeah because we're not thinking for uh, you know how is it gonna be two generations from now this whole obsession with having things <laughs> um you know on this level it's territory uh, but then also in everyday lives, yeah, you gotta have the telephone and house and and uh, more and more and more. Just put us into this uh, state of just caring about 
this life, yeah, you yourself, your closest environment. But if we cared more of how it's gonna be for for those who are coming after us, this would look differently. Someone said a very intelligent thing that people over sixty five shouldn't be allowed to vote because they're not voting for themselves. They shouldn't be controlling future generations. Like, uh, like I cannot speak for everyone, but specifically in Pakistan, all our politicians are like so old, like 60, 75. They cannot even make a WhatsApp yeah. account for themselves. Yeah. And they're deciding for the future, uh. like uh, where like the future is like crypto or in AI and all these kind of things. And, they have no clue about these things while they are in charge of making policies and rules. It doesn't make any sense, I agree. And, and then those kind of guys who don't have phones have a arm length proximity to a red button. Uh, this, How did we end up in this? Mm. I have hope that we can learn the lessons because... If we don't, then once again, it's it's in our face until we, we get it. And it's not like we have so much time <laughs> as humanity. It's not like we have so much time to to build up a, a kind of a better uh, value system that will guide how to do things. Um, the human beings, I don't know, I feel like they don't, we don't have a lot of, uh, we don't have long-term memory. We just do things on short-term memory basis, like yeah. we, like a major war happened, and then a few years, people will say, oh, it was so wrong, we should never do that again. A few mm -hmm. years later, we're involved in another war. And, and more horrifying than that is that we'll change the narrative. Uh, you can see how... Russia Federation has transformed the post-war narrative of never again to we can repeat it again. And their uh, 9th of May marches, how crazy have they been for, you know, not... It's not, it's not about commemoration of the war talking about what has happened making conclusions how, you know it's 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 about showing their power <laughs> this, i mean you 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 must have seen this military parades that just makes your eyes pop it was very ironic that what uh, i saw in sweden as well like sweden has been neutral for over two centuries and now they're thinking about joining nato and at the same time, uh, last week, there was a big climate conference here in Sweden and diplomats. Isn't it this week? This week or something. Like, it started mm -hmm. last week. Mm -hmm. And politicians and diplomats from all around the world are coming here to talk about, you know, climate change and all that. At the same time, now the warships are here in Stockholm and they're showing their might, military <laughs> might, like, the, mm -hmm. you know, the, what do you call it? The dichotomy or uh, such an uh, both extremes happening at the same time is yeah. like kind of ironic. It's crazy times. Yeah, it's like um, being in the middle of a movie, 
that's how how crazy it feels. Really, um, kind of a turning point. And it's I, I don't I don't know if people in the past felt that they are in a turning point. But that's the sentiment I have now. Uh, history in the making, and I, I, I see the response from Ukraine. I see the response from the rest of the world, and yeah, there is there is hope. You know, I know that we will win, and I also see signs that the rest of the world will will not fall into that. Yeah, again, what what you say is happening here. But then there's so many complexities on the way there. There's so much that has to be done um, from everyone, of course, from from the governments. And we'd better do it right uh, now. I was just thinking, like, like if we if the world wanted to end this war, like countries could easily, uh, like countries could uh, send soldiers and weapons and all that to Ukraine and easily repel the Russian forces. But at the same time, that could destabilize the political issue and escalate the war even further into like a global war. So it's like, it's so complicated. There is no one way that there could be a victory or a loss. Like, how do you think this war could conclude? Because neither neither sides are gonna uh, give up so easily. And other countries are hesitating in helping as well because if other countries get involved, then this could escalate even further. Well, this will, you know, Russian uh, propaganda and even Russian officials are saying that uh, now we will, next we will go in Poland mm -hmm. and then we'll go further and further. So there's no, you know, there's no logic that you can apply to them. It's not like, okay, we, we, we stay away, so maybe it will not come here. Well, first of all, that's just cowardice. <laughs> and, you know, history doesn't like those politicians and those uh, governments. But then also there's no, um, there's no other way you, that you can act now, I think, and stay true to, to what's right other than arming Ukraine. Because... Well, frankly, uh, I, I hope it's obvious to to everyone in in Europe. Maybe not when I look at certain politicians, but um, I hope that it, it's obvious to most that um, Ukraine now is fighting for Europe. And there's this book by Serhii Pluhi called The Gates of Europe, which now it is like, his, yeah, Ukrainian history. But now that name is getting even more meaning again um and yeah to me that's obvious arm ukraine so that this ends on the the battlefield because you know uh, talking to putin will not change anything uh, you can't talk to like you can't talk to a dictator who's gone you know, you don't know where behind which 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 uh, uh, bars he should be sitting. You know, because there's so many. Um, you can't try to reason with the devil, and if you don't, um, I I think that can you know also it needs to be understood that if you don't act now, then then you are um, 
you know, in a passive way, just bringing it closer to you. And then again, um, Ukraine will win. But how, you know, some certain politicians and governments, when I when I look, see them talk, I'm like, how will you look, uh, you know, <laughs> look yourself in the eyes later? Again, about role of a leader in the world and in history. And it's very obvious that the civil societies, yeah, pretty much everywhere are asking politicians to uh, support Ukraine in all ways possible. And right now, the the most necessary way is obviously with um, armor. And when you are in the middle of the war, you can't be, you know, oh, I'm a pacifist, so I'll just imagine that there is no war. Peace, peace out, you know. <laughs> you, then you are living in, in, in your own made-up world. Uh, when, you know, I woke up today um, texting with my dad, and he says, well, I was making breakfast, and uh, I heard uh, mis missile or, yeah, rocket fl fl fly right above our home, and I heard all the bombs falling. So that is not going to end by trying to call Putin or being afraid of this, you know, coming to, to other countries. That will end by, you know, shooting them away and pushing them to where they belong, to their country, away from the independence over in Ukraine. And the same goes for Donbass and for Crimea and leaders who are now showing um, you know this proactive attitudes and you know concrete things I, I, I think uh, people see it yeah now I wanted to ask you since you have uh, you're very active in volunteer work in Sweden um, what's the system of uh, um, like the, when the Ukrainian refugees come in Sweden, like how are they treated and um, what's the system here? Mm, there is, um, on the European level, there is this temporary um, temporary directive for displaced people. Um, so that's not the same asylum-seeking process as it is in Sweden in general. You can apply for that as well, but, um, but there is a, a another kind of prerequisite for 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 those for, for that process. Um, so you apply for it this for, for the uh, permit according to uh, directive, and um, you might request financial assistance and uh, housing and. Um, do they like also find you work as well? Well, yeah, financial uh, to start with financial assistance. Um, if you get it, uh, that's like around 61 crowns per day. Mm -hmm. And regarding housing, 
Yeah, I'm not quite. I, I mean, I heard some stories, but I wouldn't say because I haven't been there, so I don't know. Uh, but I know a lot of people just uh, hosting hosting Ukrainians in their homes. A lot of people open their homes uh, to, um, to refugees, and that's really amazing to me. That's ah, uh, that's beautiful. Um, there are those. Yeah, there's like communities, groups on Facebook where everyone is like applying <laughs> uh, to offer their home. Um, and uh, um, then, uh, yeah, then you got to stay in all those queues. Yeah, go get all the documents and, you know, all, <laughs> all, all of those processes. And for work, um, well, you got to go to Arbitz for Mendingen and, and see... Uh, what what uh, what they can help with? Um, I think a lot of people in um, yeah of my age and my generation uh, who speak uh, English and uh, yeah have had professional careers back home. Yeah, they don't have a problem getting a job here. Um, I think. Um, and bring specific skill sets here, which is which is needed in Sweden. Um, then there are language courses as well, but SFE doesn't apply to Ukrainians, uh, as far as I know. So there are some other temporary short courses. Folkuniversitet uh, is doing a course for a few weeks. Um, Let's see if they will prolong it because my mom is taking that one and she's writing to them like, oh, will you, will we be able to continue studying in June? Um, so I hope so. And um, yeah, with Arvis Femeling, we, we haven't been able, <laughs> we went there on a, on a Thursday, it was closed. Then we went there on Friday, stood for, for a couple of hours and then it was closed. <laughs> so we didn't manage to get in, but... Uh, will come again and register my mother. She's an artist and uh, uh, art teacher uh, who doesn't speak Swedish and who's still learning English. So it's <laughs> it's a bit tricky. My mother is the same. Yeah? She's an artist and art teacher all her life. You know, they should meet. <laughs> yeah. But my mother is back in Pakistan. Oh, okay. <laughs> maybe maybe if she comes for a visit. Yeah. It's very hard for me to, to speak to speak for you know conditions or the situation because I've been here for a while and um, myself I was also always waiting you know how it is for 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 work permits and it hasn't been a very easy journey either but I'm you know I I know how things are here so um, I've been helping to fix all of that for for my my mother and sister but then you know people who come here having nothing having to build everything from scratch and uh, there are um, yeah there is refugee housing um, where you can stay um, I suppose it's temporary because um, you stay there like many people in the same space yeah. I, I think it's it's temporary and then uh, you're offered a place somewhere else um, but um, I know someone who lives there. Uh, they come from uh, Mariupol. Um, mother and a, and a daughter. Really nice uh, people. 
And uh, yeah, so they live in such refugee housing in Handen. How did you end up in Sweden? Well, long story or short story. Long story. We have a lot of time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, it it was a long-term dream for me. Since I started in Scandinavian Gymnasium in Kiev, since I was 11, I think. Um, Why did your parents... uh, put you in a Scandinavian I, it, it was just built outside my house ah, okay. and it was a new school and it was cool and um, mom asked if I wanted to and I wanted to so I switched schools um, and and I just kind of fell in love with uh, with Sweden since I got to travel here a few times in uh, cultural exchange programs and uh, I wanted to do a bachelor degree here, but then I changed my mind uh, and went to Kiev Mohila Academy in Kiev. And that's a very, um, very good university. Uh, it's like one of the most, it, it is the most historic uh, university in Ukraine, like from like 17th century. And uh, also the most progressive and most pro-Western and it has the history of uh, like being autonomous and you know driving different questions against the government, not against, but like towards the government. You know, uh, being very yeah, very outspoken and very progressive. So I I fell in love with them and wanted to study there, and uh, so I moved here for a master's degree in Stockholm University. Yeah, and then there was um, yeah. Yeah, that was two days after my grandparents moved to Kiev uh, to flee the war in 2014. And um, even though it was my, it had been my dream for a long time to move here, because of everything happening at home, I felt internal conflict every morning. And every like every every day in shower, I was like, should I go back home today? Should I get the tickets today? Um, but uh, for them, it was better that I was here. So they kept telling me that and I kept doing my thing here. Yeah. But uh, that year, 2014, was... There was so much that happened because when the year started, there was the... Um, there was before the revolution. So there was probably end of 2013, beginning of 2014, there was the student strikes. So we were there in the first column. Uh and then we, I remember very well, we went to pick up the students from Tarashevchenko University. Um, and we went striking around Kiev. And that was the uh, student strike for uh, European um, integration. Because that was right before Yanukovych has to uh, sign a document that... that got us closer to Europe. There were complexities with that, and he didn't. And um, right before, we just went out to, to say what we thought. And it was uh, Euromaidan. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember that there was not a single um, kind of, well, political thing that, w- that we were saying. Uh, because we wanted this to be only about like European integration, you know, 
nothing against the government, more like this is what we want. Um, but then that changed when they, um, when the police kind of went against the, the students at night. And then the next day, millions of people were on the street. Maybe a million. I don't, I don't know. I rem remember the picture of the whole all my down, all Krishatic. Uh, was filled with people. Before this invasion in February, how were the people's perception of the Zelensky's government? It's hard for me to say because I'm I was so far away from mm. from Ukrainian politics. Mm. Um, you know, living here, I stay in touch with my family, but I don't watch you know what Zelensky is saying there. Um, I wouldn't say that I was so engaged. Um, but um, I think I can I can say not only for myself that um, people didn't know what you know, or I think people were surprised uh, by his uh, leadership and courageous reaction, especially that moment when yeah I think that quote is now known by by people everywhere. <clears throat> uh -huh. When he was offered to flee to the U.S., his answer was, I don't need a cab, uh, I need weapons. Yeah. Yeah, so. because, because of his background not being in politics, but in, in um, business, in show business, and in, in, uh, you know, he started as a comedian. That's how I met, met him as a, as a child on a show. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We were on vacation and they were performing. You, you know, maybe that was a good thing that someone like that is in power because it's it's more about being human than about being a politician. I don't mean to be mean when I say that, but um, I think you know what I mean. Yeah, it's often said that people who want to be leaders should not be leaders mm -hmm. because... Uh, Everyone throughout history, we have tons of examples that no matter how good you are, no matter what your principles are, once you're in power, power corrupts you. Mm -hmm. And maybe not, uh, maybe it doesn't come from within, but the system around you is so corrupt that you have to play with the system. Otherwise, there is no other choice. Yeah, that's why I think it's so important that after the victory, um, civil society... Uh and different organizations put a lot of pressure on the government on how things will be during the build-up phase uh, because uh, when we when we are there you don't get a second chance and we can't fuck up with the build-up phase after the war um, and um, it's very important that it's done Right. So, and I think everyone needs to be involved um, in that, not only the government, uh, but with everything that's happening now. You know, you can't, you can't go through it with so many people giving their lives for for you, your family, independence of your country, and then go like 
yeah, it's 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 fine that that some money goes somewhere else. No, you know, I think that's. Uh, I hope that's how it's going to be, that the sacrifice of the war has to be used to build it up for the better future. And for that, everyone will have to work. And um, people go up and... I think that's gen there is, I think that's general psychology. There's a guy who's very interesting um, and very active now online. I think he was a psychologist before because he is uh, documenting what's happening day by day and, and making this kind of timeline of emotions, emotions from the government, emotions from people and general sentiment based on online uh, communications and sentiments from, from international society in general. And he's making this kind of mapping. And it goes up and down, up and down. And I really hope that after the victory, we are on the up wave to make something good. Um, it has to be so. Now, over 260, if I'm not mistaken, children uh, have been killed in yeah, since the start of the full-scale war. So you you can't not think about the, the, this when you when you do things. And this has to push you to do things right. And that's obvious for me as Ukrainian. But I also think that uh, perhaps that change will happen in general as well. And um, of course, you have to have a cold mind yeah, to be able to do things the right ways, to not get panicky, because when you start thinking about what's happening in the world, it's very easy to, to get either depressed or, or, or <laughs> too stressed about it. But you have to have a cold mind and still do things the right way. But emotions is good because that's a, a, a true response to what's happening. And I hope that we people can transfer emotions to doing something good for those that come after us. What we've been talking about, you know, thinking two generations forward. Not just caring about your little world, whatever, however much you have left. But thinking about who is to come with what you're doing. I think that's the only way how we can continue living as humanity. Yeah, after a war is the make it or break it kind of situation with the country. Like during a war, you're just acting on... Uh, you're being more reactionary. It's just uh, in the moment kind of thing. But after a war, you really need to consider how we're going to move forward. Mm -hmm. And not the people, all the people who lost their lives, just their life, sh their sacrifice should have meant something. They shouldn't just be a number or a statistic, you know. Many times when we hear, oh, a million people died, 
Uh, okay, like we don't, our heads cannot com- comprehend million deaths, you know. While if I said, oh, in that school, there was school shooting and then five children died. You're like, oh my God, five children, five families. But if I say, oh, a million people died in the city. Yeah, you're going to be sad, but we do not comprehend that statistic. I, I think there's a quote by someone that, I don't know, like 10 people dying is a massacre while a million people dying is a statistic. So, yeah, moving forward, not just the Ukrainian people and like uh, the everyone outside Ukraine and the politicians and each individuals as well. Like right now, yeah, you're helping your people are donating, they're protesting, they're volunteering. After the the war, they need maybe more help or as much help in the rebuilding phase as well. So keep your efforts, like, keep coming, you know? Yeah, 100%. Um, that's a different kind of... Uh, very different kind of actions that are needed. I think a lot of things are already in preparation now. Um, definitely on the governmental level, you see them talk about uh, plans for rebuilding different regions of the country, um, but also on the business level, different initiatives on how to how to help um, growth of entre- entrepreneurship and social entrepreneurship in Ukraine and other particular areas. Uh, my dad, for instance, uh, is um, um, pro bono consulting the government on how to rebuild the energy sector since that his sphere of of uh, of expertise yeah you definitely can't be uh, you know i think um, a lot of people are thinking what are you going to do after the victory and it goes uh towards you know hugging your family member um having coffee in your kitchen um especially difficult of course for for people in occupied territories like um um, Herson, for instance, like I have a friend who is from Herson. Uh, she 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 spent some months in uh, in uh, the west of Ukraine and now re- returned to Kiev. Um, but her parents are in Herson, and uh, I ran the other day that there is no um, there there is no um, connection, a Ukrainian connection with them anymore. So. They're they're already introducing rubles and uh, yeah, you know, going by the book <laughs> of of what they did in uh, DNR and LNR, but um, and and Crimea, um, but you know, so for for her who has like parents in occupied territories and that's her home, you know, first thing to do is, you know, see them, hug them, uh, hug the walls of your home, <clears throat> uh, walk the streets of your town, be happy being free in your country and to not be afraid. Um, and then a lot of work has to be done and I, uh, I think that will be... There will be a lot of victories in the future on that. Um, it's not going to be that straightforward, <laughs> the victory. 
of you know the victory in in rebuilding this and this and this. It will take you know very very long time. Um, first of all, because some uh, regions and and towns are completely destroyed. Uh, so and then bridges and roads and um, a lot of cultural um, heritage places, um, museum. Uh, of course, they're aiming for museums. They know that this is a museum of, uh, um, you know, Hrgori Skovarada. So they, um, they, sh- they, they destroy in Kharkiv area. They destroyed it completely. Um, or Marina Prima- Maria Primachenko, who is a, a famous Ukrainian uh, artist. They... Uh, ruined the museum too, um, etc. Uh, so a lot of this kind of first level rebuilding will need to be done for people to to get homes, uh, for people to return home, because millions of people uh, have been displaced. And um, for someone, it means that you return to your home because it's still there. For others, it you know like people in people from Mariupol. Like, they don't have a home to return to. Um, so there will be a lot of new um, uh, housing project uh, that, that will need to, to, to come together. I hear that there is a lot of planning about that, uh, of course, already. Um, now they're building temporary places in the West. Um, but also all of this will need to be done with... Um, with this kind of wish for the better in mind, you know, okay, this was what we had, but what will be built needs to be better, more environmentally friendly, more uh, kind of urban environment smart, um, more um, um, more uh, fitting to different kinds of people, uh, traveling in different ways. Um, and there are talking and they're talking about it so oh, that's what I hear uh, so I think that this phase of rebuilding after the war will be uh, very very uh, intense as in a lot of work needs to be done and a lot of people will be involved and um, and I I think that and I hope that um, it in a hauntingly beautiful way that uh, on a place of an old ruined house there will be a better one with bigger windows and more light can get in. Thank you so much for coming. I can understand how hard it is for you to talk about these things, but I think people need to hear this and people need to be more aware of this. Uh, Hopefully people or listening to this, maybe they get to learn something new, maybe they get to connect with the sentiments of the Ukrainian people. And like as you said before, that even if it's one euro, send money, you know, it doesn't have to be like extravagant, a lot of money, like everything counts. Yeah, and, and uh, that example that I mentioned about uh, donating... Um... That's just one thing, yeah. There's so many other things. Uh, I guess when you come from a compassionate 
place, there are a lot of different actions you can take. Um, that may be someone who just came here, who is sitting uh, next to you in uh, board central uh, or something like that, and they may be, um, you know, looking for a place to live or, uh, um, yeah, <laughs> just would like to 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 have a conversation to build up a network here so it counts that you just connect with them and i think that's uh, that goes for that open-mindedness mindedness in general um look around you see what kind of people are around you um and what's their story where they come from who they are and what they where they're going uh, because maybe you're going in the same direction Thank you so much for coming. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed this. And, you know, even though maybe at some some, <laughs> some point my eyes were watery, I, I really uh, like um, our conversation and made me uh, bring up and, and think about a lot of things that are close to heart. Thank you. We pray for Ukraine and the Ukrainian people. Thank you for listening. Peace be upon you all. Bye-bye.